It's episode 155 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses. Now, this week's guest is William Rosenwinkle. Hello. Hiya, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I am. I am doing okay. Um, so, uh, tell me where you are and tell me how you're doing in the current situation. What is going on at the moment? <laughs> um, I am presently in my apartment. Uh, I live in Mount Wolf, Pennsylvania, US. And so far, we've gone through at least... I shut down and we've started to open up a little bit, but I still don't trust it. So I'm staying home as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. How have you found the whole experience? Uh, surprising in some ways. I found I can work from home a lot better than I thought, despite it all. But it's also frustrating not being able to go see people. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you want to tell uh, tell people what line of business you are in for later on? We will reveal why this is irrelevant. <laughs> um, presently, I'm a systems consultant, so I help support accounting software uh, for my day job. Uh, but I'm also a hobby accountant for an improv theater. And prior to my systems consultancy, I was an accountant at various corporations. So accountancy is in my background. And you are good at <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think if you tell people you're foreshadowing, that probably takes away. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, cool. So let's um, let's cast our minds back because um, obviously I'm going to talk about um, online improv in the current state. But I want to want to cast our minds back. Um, tell me about the teams, uh, the improv teams that you are on. Um, in the normal scheme of things. So presently, I'm on three improv teams at the moment. Uh, one is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and two of them are in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, they're the nearest uh, dedicated improv theaters I have to me. In Harrisburg, it's a musical narrative team that I'm on, uh, kind of on hiatus thanks to this whole thing. But uh, we've been. To, it's the first musical house team that they have put together for that theater, and... We've done a full six-month run, and a good portion of us are sticking on to try and do more shows on the other side of this. Uh, so that should be fun. Cool. The two teams up. So, uh, oh, sorry. So what, what's the name of the group? Scoreface. <laughs> because all good team names are bad puns. <laughs> and our poster has been, at least up until this point, uh, one of those musical, uh, like the treble clef. I think it's yeah, the travel yeah, yeah. cup, the S one, not the C one, um, whichever yes. class that is, yeah, uh, yeah, with yeah. like a Scarface style poster background with the black and white and the red. <laughs> Sometimes you've just got to go for the obvious. That's what I say. I love it. I love the obvious. It's a fun thing to play with. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, and... I've had some fun team names in the past. Uh, my first improv team was called What's the Matter with Henry? which we arrived at the name based on a self-published book about a three-legged cat that had been mailed into the local public television station. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. 
Um, so you're you're doing two of my favourite things uh, with Scoreface. We're doing both musical and narrative. So mm-hmm. um, can you talk me through the format of the of the show? So we started out with more of like a Chicago style narrative. So it was a classic like opening number, hero, villain, uh, kind of like confrontation hero loses and then reconfrontation and resolution denouement kind of a thing with various numbers throughout your classic your hero song your villain song what have you uh we play in about a 25 minute time slot so often that had been trimmed down to pretty much hero villain conflict resolution (laughs) uh though we kind of tweaked it a little bit it's pretty similar to that, but we tried to incorporate like the opening number a little bit more into like a world building and transition into the hero a little bit more directly. So they just kind of flowed together rather than being like your classic opening number and then just a scene where two people go out and start figuring out, am I the protagonist? Are you the protagonist? Uh, yeah. So that's the basic structure of it. Usually we finish a story when we try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to do a musical in 25 minutes. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the challenge, isn't it? Always. It is always a challenge, but usually we succeed, and most of the time it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and so presumably you've got some sort of accompanist of some sort? Yes, we usually have a pianist accompany us. Uh, we have occasionally, when our pianist was unavailable, uh, the theater owner... Jay Compton uh, actually has come out and played uh, get bass. I believe he played guitar, and then another member of the theater came out and played bass. So we had like two instruments playing with us, and that was fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, and what sort of um, what sort of uh, inspiration are you getting from the audience? Uh, when we started, we were getting titles. When we adjusted the format slightly, we were getting a location where several people might be, because that way the world building felt a little bit easier. Oh, you get a pizza shop. Okay, I'm kind of rolling dough and out, and we're singing this opening. We're kind of introducing the characters and the environment a little bit through that song. So the location seemed to fit better than a title. Get you on the same page quicker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the nice thing about a title is that, I don't know, it depends. If you get a good title, it can be really evocative. But I think you're asking a lot of the audience to think up a title, you know, relatively quickly and then for it to be a good title. Um, it's just something I learned from the showstoppers is to um, get the title, put it in your back pocket and then bring it out in the last song. And everyone goes, yay, they've remembered the name of the musical that we'd forgotten. They're brilliant. And we are brilliant <laughs> for doing that because it's not easy because you're doing a lot of stuff, but it's, you know, it's a little bit of a cheat. <laughs> yeah. Our last song usually is a reprise of the opening of... Either the opening number or like the hero song. Oh wow. I've not I've not so, encountered that before. How do you remember it? Uh I think the secret with all musical improv is really simplistic uh choruses. And it can like evolve, uh, but you know, if you get a good repetitive just one line chorus said four times in a row, or almost one line with like one little hook word changing, it can be a little bit easier to adapt and re- repeat. And our accompanist usually does a great job of remembering what that tune is and easing us into that tune so we can <laughs> go, oh, oh, yeah, it goes like this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really lovely idea. I've not done that. Um, what I've tried to do in rehearsals 
is you know like a uh, like a real musical is um, when you've had one song and then you, you're doing the next song and then to have a reprise of the previous song sung over the new song mm-hmm. um, but I've only ever done that in rehearsals I've never actually managed to do that on stage but oh that sounds fantastic it's tricky but it's fun <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then uh, tell me about your next team. Okay, so in Lancaster, I'm on two teams. Um, one of them is Saw Jams, and we do like a living room style conversational opening, and then a montage afterwards. And if need be, we might re- do a second living room. We go for about 45 to 50 minutes in that team. And it's comprised of some of the old vanguard of our theater who helped form it. And prior to that had been, when it was a team, <laughs> prior to becoming a theater, had been some of the older members. So it's a lot of fun. The name itself is an acronym for the founders of the troupe. A couple of those members have dropped off due to scheduling conflicts, but we've kept the name because when you get a good name, you stick with it. <laughs> and um, what, are your, what are your top tips? Oh, so, yeah, should we explain what um, a living room is and then... What are your top tips for a successful living room? So a living room tends to be uh, more of like a conversational monologue, where as a group you get a word or a couple words as inspiration, and then you'll have a discussion from about that on stage before using real life stories typically, before breaking to the sides and doing your set, your set off of those ideas. Uh, I think my favorite top tip, or at least the best way I like to put it when doing a living room, is the feel you want to get in doing it is the kind of feel you have when you're like at a diner or a bar or a pub hanging out with your friends and teammates after a show, just kind of shooting the shit and just really just vibing and having fun and playing with each other. Because if you're enjoying the conversation and having that kind of good friendship conversation that happens in those (laughs) particular environments, you're going to be interesting to watch. You're going to talk about a lot of interesting stories that most of you haven't heard. The conversation will go fun places and you'll just have a lot of fun things to draw from too. Um, The other tip that I have is as tempting as it is, to pull the uh, to pull yourselves on stage, be like, okay, how much of you, how many of you like uh, waffles versus pancakes? That actually happened in one of our sets. Uh, try and make sure that the way you phrase the question gives somebody an option to not participate in the answer or not clearly give their answer if they're so desired, because you don't know what that question's going to be in advance. So you want to make sure that everyone's taken care of and has a way to uh, address that <laughs> as they're comfortable with. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I may have got distracted by the, the, the talk of uh, food. <laughs> talk of food is always distracting and delightful. Um, <laughs> so it hasn't always been so banal as like waffles versus pancakes, mm. where uh, giving an answer feels overly personal. But there have been a couple of questions that we've come across on stage that as a team we've had to talk about afterwards uh, to make sure everybody's comfortable with where the way the question was phrased, it was like, raise your hand if um, something, and by not raising your hand, you've implied one answer. By raising your hand, you've implied the other. And the question itself, totally spontaneous in the moment, totally understandable how we got there, uh, left somebody feeling like they were sharing some, stuck sharing something, either way that they weren't comfortable letting out on stage. 
that right. yeah, 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 stage yeah. kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah. That, 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 that makes that makes yeah, that makes total sense. So So if you do that, be careful so that people can go, Well, I'm in the middle, I'm not answering, I'm not going to the left or the right. <laughs> <laughs> so is that so is that is that during the um during the sort of the chatty bits? Yeah. Someone might just go, Oh, you know, straw poll, who's ever, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, done something unmanageable in a theatre or whatever. Um, I was yeah. thinking of Alanis Morissette. Um, and <laughs> um, uh, one for the teenagers there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and um, so, so, uh, I, and then are you cutting between the chat bit and the scenes, and then cu- cutting back to the chat, or then do you? Is there a delineation between this is the conversation bit, and then we're just doing scenes? Uh, we've typically done, this is the conversation bit, and then we do scenes. And if we run out of steam or burn out a little bit, which early on we were doing a little bit, but in a, the last good chunk of our run we haven't had to do yet, uh, we'll just do the run of scenes solid through to the uh, blackout, basically. Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, our conversation tends to be like five to seven minutes at the top of a 45-minute set, and usually by the end of that we have enough that we can get some solid building blocks and go for 25, 35 minutes because we've all talked about it and we, most of us have had something interesting to add or something interesting to ask. <laughs> mm. So it's definitely gotten our brains percolating. And then, of course, as you go through a set, you can get inspired by other scenes that go through there and use that as fuel and as little lily pads to hop off of onto other ideas. So, Yeah, I suppose my, my only concern... I mean, I love that format, is if the story's too good, if the story's too entertaining, does that leave you anywhere to go when you're doing the scenes? I think I think often, yes. Um, I mean, rarely when I'm telling a story, is the story so good that nobody's able to, you know, uh, add to it or, or do anything for it. Normally when I'm telling a story, that's fine. Sometimes the people I've worked with have been really entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I I rarely tell such stories as you've just mentioned where it's unable to be uh, improved upon by other improvisers but uh, usually there's like a nugget of an idea or a gem or a point of view in that great story that you can play with and you can recontextualize and you can still use it as fuel without directly retelling that story I think the pitfall with uh, monologue is the instinct to want to replay something you find funny and playing it a little too close to the story where it doesn't have the same kind of impact as it did when it was first told because the audience goes, oh yeah, he talked about that or she talked about that or they talked about that, you know, and now we've seen it and it was entertaining, but when you can take it, uh, I feel like when you can take it and kind of put a twist on it and recontextualize it, move it to a different environment, take that point of view and give it to somebody you would not expect to have it. It can be a lot of fun to play with and to twist without uh, doing anything to the quality of the story that was told, but to still to play with that theme and find something that the audience finds fulfilling. <laughs> yes, I think that ability to find the shiny thing and put it in your pocket for later um, is... Um, I needed someone to point that out for me. It's the sort of thing that's obvious in retrospect, and I don't quite know why I needed it pointing out, but it, it was almost in, in 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 those terms of thinking, okay, 
try, rather than trying to remember all of these stories, try and remember one or two things. And I actually kind of visualise putting them in my pocket for later. Um, you know, and then bring those out. And as long as everybody has two or three things, you'll have enough things for the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that comes from you'll recognize more things than you remember. So you'll probably remember different things because different things speak to different people. And then when your partners come out on stage and they initiate off of an idea you had forgotten about, you'll probably quickly go, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And be able to play with that even further. And if not, it's fun to just be dragged along (laughs) and to figure out where something goes. (laughs) But um, I think I had to be inspired to that idea as well off of a different podcast. I think it might have been Improv Yak, one of their episodes, they had talked about monologues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I'm wrong, Improv Yak is still excellent. So. <laughs> oh, no, it's, yeah, no, it's recommended. Yeah, no, definitely good. Uh, it was Carleen McDermott uh, of C3 Something. It was one of her um, drop-ins. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Obviously, it wasn't that obvious because I needed it pointed out to me. So, you know... <laughs> Uh, common sense is rarely uh, common. Uh, Absolutely. And sometimes the brain just doesn't want to see the really obvious thing. Like uh, Douglas Adams, when he's pointing out the uh, big brick-like ships flying in the sky that nobody sees because they don't want to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And also, I think maybe at that point, you know, you have to be improvising for a while to get good enough because you, you've got so much going on when you're starting just being able to speak coherently mm-hmm. um, and listen to somebody else while you're performing is enough to fill up your whole brain. And then once you improvised a bit more, you that muscle memory kicks in. And then you've got you know a bit more brain power to start thinking about extra things like remembering a story that you just heard and stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Or hearing a fun fact and then hearing a second one in the story. <laughs> <laughs> And not being like, okay, the Red Rider Wagon, the Red Rider Wagon, the Red Rider Wagon for the entire rest of the monologue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have that instinct because it's it's the same with names. If you can remember someone's name for the first 30 seconds, um, then you've probably got it. But then, yeah, you also need to be listening to what they're saying and hearing the rest of the story as well. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. I think I heard it. One of the teachers I've had definitely put it as with names. If you want someone to actually hear the name, say it three times. If you yes. want them to remember it in a later scene, say it five times. <laughs> oh, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about repeating it three times, but um, yeah, that five, that five rule, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's very good. I'm, I'm very impressed by that. That's cool. Um, and then uh, your third team? My third team is called Lip Service, um, and we do short form. So pretty standard there but uh we share hosting responsibility and we change it up and we perform monthly so it's been a lot of fun cool uh what sort of uh, what are your favorite short form games uh my favorite short form games i i find ones that are super challenging really fascinating but i can't find anybody that wants to play them with me uh, <laughs> which ones oh goodness there's a game that i learned in austin called Helldub, which typically has three performers in it and a will do the voice for b b will do the voice for c and c will do the voice for a while they're all in the scene acting (laughs) 
So if you feel like your character wants to say a line, you have no control over that. You have to start mouthing when the other person starts talking for you. <laughs> and you have to remember to talk for the other character in whatever voice you come up with. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a real brain buster. <laughs> that sounds amazing. But it's definitely I... super fun and challenging and interesting, I think. Because it's one of those ones with high chance of failure, and if you throw yourself in it anyways, I feel like those are the best games to watch. The ones that feel polished or pre- well-practiced tend to get a little bit less interesting to watch. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yes, although you want to get better at the games, the oh. point of the games isn't actually... is the point of the games to be good at them. I don't know. I'm torn because I'm aware that um, I love short form and um, I love it for itself, but I also love it as a way of practicing skills that you can then use in long form because all improv is the same. There's no difference between the two. (laughs) Um, uh, But then, does that contradict the idea that if you've practiced a game and then you're really good at eight things, is seeing someone being really brilliant at doing eight things satisfying? Yes, it is, because it's the best short form game. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know what my point is here. Save me. Um, I, I will save you as best I can. I think the difference is you can tell when the improvisers are being challenged and excited to play the game and when they're being mechanically perfect at a game. Those that are mechanically perfect are kind of lifeless, and it's just not as fun to watch. And if you're doing like bar prov, it'll get laughs out of people. But if you're if you're pulling in a consistent audience and it's the same audience and they're there literally to watch you, you can kind of see the same thing. Uh, at Jill Bernard in a workshop once, and she mentioned seeing in the same weekend two teams do a forward reverse, that game where you advance the scene and you're like talking line. I say a line, you say a line, then I say a line, and then somebody would call reverse, and then I repeat the last line and you repeat the line before that, and you kind of just keep oscillating back and forth kind of at some sort of demented uh director's call through a scene (laughs) but um she had seen two teams do that one that was like had practiced it had done it perfectly nailed lines impressive an impressive feat but it was pretty lifeless and seen like a college team that was just figuring it out that bumbled their way through it but was having so much fun on stage and she had said she loved seeing the latter the college team so much more because they were having so much more fun with it Yes, with the first one, it's like, well, I'm impressed, but have I been entertained? <laughs> um, I admire that, but did I enjoy it? Whereas, yeah, mm-hmm. with the second one, yeah, it's the, uh, yeah, it's also, yeah, seeing the relationship between the people playing it as they, you know, as yeah. they scrabble around to do it the best they can. Yeah, and I think if you're reaching the point where a game is like that, you need to find new ways to either playfully mess with people or try and find new ways to break the rules and get out of patterns that served you well and aren't helping you anymore. Yes. And I think that's, that's true for um, all types of improv. I'm very aware of trying to spot things that I rely on mm-hmm. and, you know, think, well, I've always got that, but actually, wouldn't it be great to just try and, you know, maybe increase my physicality or something like that? Because I can always mm-hmm. go back to the original thing. But, you know, why not learn this other way of dealing with things and, you know. Yeah. So uh, when you're doing uh, an average set, um, are you you in a bar or are you in a theatre? Theatres. 
I, I cool. tend not to do bar prov unless it's like a festival. Because <laughs> that sounds that sounds frankly horrible. Well done to anybody that can do it. Um, and what 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 sort of games would be in your typical set? Uh, we were on the gamut. Uh, we have various guessing games we layer in now and again. We have a couple uh, highly structured games that, like American Family sitcom, is one of the highly structured ones. Where what's what's American Family? You were about to tell me. I shouldn't have interrupted. No, oh, it's okay. I I appreciate it. Uh, American Family sitcom is probably not my favorite game, but it's an interesting one. And the premise of it basically is that uh, TV sitcoms, mostly from the 90s, are so formulaic that we can play it on stage for you. And so there's typically a dad, and the dad has some sort of a zinger catchphrase, you know. (laughs) And then we tell the audience that they're supposed to laugh every time they hear that catchphrase dropped. And usually they play along nicely for that. There's a kid with some sort of a problem. And the audience is supposed to go, aww, every time that problem is mentioned. Uh, (laughs) There is a pet with some sort of a special skill. And we will get the pet and the special skill. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones was a rhinoceros that did taxes. (laughs) (laughs) And every time you see the pet do their special skill, the audience is supposed to clap and cheer and then we get a celebrity guest uh where we'll get some sort of a celebrity and they will come on and the audience is supposed to go hi celebrity name and then when they go off stage they're supposed to go bye celebrity name (laughs) and it's super formulaic like literally everything in there is defined except for the lines you know exactly which one you are (laughs) what your shtick is because you usually get the catchphrase from the audience or something like that too um and you just kind of got to hit that note. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds brilliant. I've not, I've, I've not heard of that one before. I think that sounds brilliant. Um, and I, I just, I like how involved the audience are. I think anything that involves the audience in a way that the audience feels comfortable mm-hmm. um, is, is delightful because, you know, otherwise you might as well just be performing it in a rehearsal room. Yes, that uh... I think improv, you might as well be performing in a rehearsal room because I find the fun of it is more important than the audience. But <laughs> the oh, audience is nice. <laughs> I, like go, go, I like doing improv for improv's sake. I like doing improv for improv's sake. So, um, you know, like to me, it's about having fun with my friends and having fun getting to know people and having fun in the community and building skills. So, if two people show up in the audience when we're performing, that's great. They're going to get the best show ever because some of the best shows I've ever done with my teams, past and present, have been in rehearsals where no one was there to watch them. <laughs> you know, and so if I'm having fun on stage with my friends, I feel like that fun carries into the audience. And if it's an audience of two, that's great. They're going to have a great show. If it's a full packed house, I think that energy is going to flow out there and it's going to really feed back and really make it more fun. But if I can't have fun in rehearsal, I don't know why I'm rehearsing. <laughs> yes. No, no, I, yeah, no, no, I, no, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I've also, yeah, uh, performed to, uh, to audiences where there are fewer people in the audience than there are in the group. And I'm currently in a duo, so that's uh, the maths on that uh, aren't great. <laughs> It's okay. I've done, I've done that with more people to a one-person audience before. So, 
they had fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, uh, well, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. Um, so uh, that sounds like a lot of improv. Is that too much improv? No, <laughs> okay. um, I think too much is relative to everyone. I feel like it's the right number for me for where I'm at at the moment. Just because you can only dedicate so many weeks, <laughs> so many nights <laughs> of the week to something, uh, and still be productive and invigorated, but happy to go learn more, do more, see more, and like pop into jams and stuff where the commitment's a little bit lower. <laughs> I I've never quite reached my limit on improv. I have had a few times where I thought, oh, maybe I need to ease back a little bit. I think actually thinking about it now it was because I had other things in my life that actually were stressing me out and actually mm-hmm. I needed to dial back on improv just to give myself a bit more you know time to rest and a bit more time to deal with things so um you know I've never I've never done too much I'm not <laughs> saying I couldn't but I don't think I've ever done too much um because it's it's all about human connection it's all about connecting with people and being an introvert, I naturally need to retreat from that anyway to recharge because I get my energy from, you know, journaling and reading and being on my own. Mm-hmm. So that I've kind of got a natural kind of a valve that kind of, you know, prevents me from doing too much, I think. Yeah, and that's a good valve to listen to. I've, I've had friends that have not listened to such valves and have packed on, oh goodness, one of them I think was on 12 teams at once. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how all the practices worked together and they had time, but then they changed jobs and it was a little bit more of an intense job than the prior one and they kind of quickly felt overwhelmed and burnt out and dropped several in, in succession. So I'm more conscious of trying to find like a healthy, balanced level for teams I've committed to and then finding innovative ways to fill in more when I want to have improv every night of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I, I think it's important. One of my main credos is that it's best to do fewer things really well than trying to do lots of things either sort of averagely or poorly, but, uh, wow, Mm -hmm. 12, 12, 12 different groups. Hmm. (laughs) That's a lot. I think some of them, I think some of them did not practice. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I I get tired of seeing the same person again and again and again. I'm like, oh, not you again. Even if I thought they were great, it's like, oh, I've already seen you this evening. (laughs) I don't even want to see the same person appear in more than one act in one night. I don't know, maybe I'm just really intolerant. (laughs) I... For me, that only bothers me when it's like a one-note act right yeah, yeah so yeah. if i see a person in like a musical improv team and then they do a herald and then they do something like a tertiary thing where it's like a wild and very different performance out of them happy to see it if i see them in uh you know like a four-person group where they do this format and then they're in a six-person group and they do almost the same <laughs> format and then they're in a two-person group where they do almost the same format i'm like yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think once I'd seen um, a group of three people do a set, and then two of the three people 
also had a duo and then they came on and then did a quite a, quite a sort of a similar set and I'm like oh I'd had enough of your first time round never mind never mind having lost your mate anyway yeah I've I've seen nights like that but I've seen nights where those two people are in the team prior and then they come out and they do their duo and their duo is wildly different enough where I'm like oh cool great thank you yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely on board. I'm definitely on board for that. That, that is, that is a cool thing. Um, so, uh, how, how did you discover improv? What's your improv origin story? Ooh, okay. So, there's two prongs to my improv origin story, and I've recently recounted them to people at my theater. So, I'm hopefully well versed in getting these out in a sensible way. Uh, one of them is. Uh, my first bout of improv of any kind is a travel in nature. A friend of mine works for has worked for various uh, airlines, and they've been very generous to me, and they've given me standby passes to fly on flights for next to nothing. Basically, I just pay him the tax impact, which, for some of the flights I've done, uh, is ridiculously cheap for a wonderful <laughs> flight and a wonderful trip and so many great memories. Um, but... One of the elements of that that has stuck with me is uh, oftentimes I wouldn't know because of weather and bookings and other events necessarily that I was confident I was getting back when I thought I was going to get back (laughs) (laughs) or let alone getting to where I thought I was going to (laughs) go. So I've done some ridiculous travel where I almost got stuck in L.A. at one point and had to do like four hops to catch like a red eye flight and then go straight from the airport into work, (laughs) which was fine. (laughs) Okay, I stopped in a gym and showered before going into work, but basically straight into work. Um, It was fine and fun and totally worth it because the weekend was worth it. So with that background, uh, I got into listening to podcasts. I don't know how. I started listening to Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is a scripted podcast out of L.A., with so many wonderful actors in it that I'm not going to try to name. One of them is Paul F. Tompkins, the voice of Mr. Peanut Butter in uh, Bojack Horseman and numerous other wonderful comedy stand-up things and improv things. Uh, as Thrilling Adventure Hour started to wind up its regular monthly run, I managed to get to see all of their live performances in like the last year they were performing because of my friend's flight power. Um, and as they were winding up, Paul F. Tompkins started the podcast Spontaneous Nation with Paul F. Tompkins which was fully improvised. Uh, he would come out, he would do an improvised monologue for about 15, 10, 15 minutes. Then he would interview a special guest for the evening based on a blind question from the prior episode's guest. Uh, whatever the question they had written down, he just asked them, and then they had a nice conversation. He's a great interviewer for that. And then they would do a narrative improv set based on the themes and ideas that had come up in that conversation and just had fun with it and off of like a location or some sort of a suggestion from the uh, special guest. And I started following that around, like people follow around the dead, the fish, um, insert name of typical band here where there's some sort of a roadie in a grody van, just going from city to city, seeing every single show. (laughs) (laughs) So out of all of the live performances of Spontaneous Nation during its podcast run, because he did two episodes and then he set it aside um, as a regular podcast, at least, I only missed six of their live shows. So I think I missed six out of like 60 live performances. And most of them were in L.A. and I live nowhere near there. I've never lived (laughs) in L.A. Uh, I've also seen him in Detroit, Vancouver, (laughs) 
Austin, Texas, New York City. <laughs> so I was following him around, and at one point during that run, I was like, that looks like a lot of fun. I wonder if there's an improv school near me. And I Googled, you know, improv classes or whatever. And prior to this point in my life, I've been one of the people that's like, oh, there's a stage over on over in front of me. I'm going to keep running away from it <laughs> as fast as I can because I want nothing to do with being in front of people. It makes me feel so awkward. And all these other things are it's like, I just have terrible stage fright and want nothing to do with, I didn't want to train people. I didn't want to, you know, be called upon in front of large groups or anything like that. But I Googled it. I signed up for a class and I'm like, I don't know why I'm signing up for this class. I did, but I'm doing it. <laughs> Send. Um, and it was with the Harrisburg Improv Theater. And they had been trying to offer a satellite location in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which fell through for reasons. Uh, and so I got an email from the owner who's like, sorry, uh, there weren't enough signups or whatever the reason was that he gave. Um, would you like to transfer to a Harrisburg class that's starting like a week or two weeks later than that on the same, basically the same night? And I'm like, I don't know why I'm saying this, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. Um, <laughs> and in that very first class, in that very first session, I was like, okay, I'm hooked. And I, I'm just going to keep doing this. And there was somebody else in the class that dropped out at the break and was never seen again. <laughs> As wow. happens with level ones uh, sometimes, but I was so hooked so quickly that upon going home, uh, I looked up what other classes were available, and they had an intro to musical improv class, a four-week class, uh, and <laughs> it was starting roughly around week four of my eight-week level one class, and I'm like, it says suggested level two and higher experience. They'll tell me if I can't. <laughs> And I signed up, and nobody told me I couldn't, so I showed up. And <laughs> so I was in level one on week four and starting a musical improv class, which was on a different night wow. of the week. Um, barreled through that. Uh, our level in Harrisburg, the level ones had two class shows, one on a Friday, one on a Sunday, when they performed their reviews or sets or whatever you want to call it. Uh I found out there was a festival in Baltimore, and I signed up for two workshops in Baltimore on the Saturday between my level one class shows. <laughs> I dove in so hard. <laughs> yeah! Wow! I love that confidence of. The, I love that uh, confidence of the beginner. You know, you don't know what you don't know, and as you say, oh, they'll tell me if I can't do it, uh, <laughs> and then you just go for it. Obviously, it's worked out all right. It has worked out all right, and I think like the final seal. On it is two months in, I want to say. Uh, I can look up the exact dates because I have a spreadsheet. Uh, but <laughs> two, uh, roughly two months in was Detroit Improv Festival in Detroit. Fantastic festival if you ever get to go. It's one of the few places that has multiple venues but doesn't feel like a multiple venue festival. Wow. Because uh, they're all like within two blocks of each other and you're constantly seeing each other going crossing between them. But uh, I took signed up for a workshop taught by... Craig Kukowski, who was in the Thrilling Adventure Hour and fantastic and had improvised several times on Spontaneous Nation and was fantastic and is a legend in and of his own right. <laughs> so uh, it was Improvised Like a Married Couple, a class for duos, and I signed up by myself as a solo person <laughs> and got paired up with a random person and it was utterly delightful. I love that class. I've taken, I took it a second time. 
Um, but I distinctly remember in that workshop at something I was saying when I was being a wizard apprentice to a wizard, and it was an exercise where we had the total of four people in. There were two people being the wizard, two people being the wizard apprentice, and they were supposed to talk at the same time with each other. I remember a line that I was helping craft made Craig Gakowski laugh, and I'm like, sealed, done. This is what I do now. <laughs> this isn't just like a short time hobby thing. This is, I'm done. I'm locked in. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the spreadsheet. Tell me about the, uh, the, the the mythical spreadsheet that we foreshadowed so expertly at the beginning of this episode. Expert foreshadowing by you, Stuart. Uh, so I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of my improv. Uh, I've accumulated assorted small goals over the years, but uh, in my spreadsheet I have uh, full-run classes like multi-week sessions on one tab, all those that I've taken, who taught them, where they were, how many classes and shows they had, uh, how many total study hours roughly it was. Uh, I have how long I've been doing improv, which at the moment, time of recording, is exactly three years, 11 months, and 15 days. Uh, <laughs> I think I will have just passed the 14, the four-year mark uh, when this episode gets released, based on what you had said. could be slightly off in that within a day or two. Uh, I have had a total of 554.75 hours of improv classes and workshops, <laughs> um, which all of them I've tracked. I have a personal writing I will never share with anybody as to what I thought of the workshop and what I thought of the teacher. Uh, I have where I took the workshop geographically, like city, state, in addition to like what festival or theater it was at, <laughs> how long it was the title, all of these wonderful things, because I wanted to try and track them. And then just for funsies, I also track um, the number of improv teachers I have had, like distinct people I've had teach me in a formalized setting, which presently is 152. Uh, I have where, how many states, countries, territories I have learned improv in, like attended a class, uh, which is presently 22. Uh, 19 states, the District of Columbia, yeah, 19 states, the District of Columbia, Ottawa, Canada, and London, United Kingdom. <laughs> uh, and how many festivals I've attended, which is currently 36. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I wish, now I wish I'd done that. <laughs> um, the thing that I wish I had measured in there that I haven't is how many practices I've been to. So I don't know my full like improv hours or the number of shows exactly I've done. <laughs> but I do track where I, if I've performed in another state, which is a much smaller list. And I count jams in that. So in my performances, I have performed in uh, 10 different states and London. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um I really want to see your ratings. I know you'll never share them with anyone, but <laughs> and, I feel and, like... and, and, and you're right, and you shouldn't. And and I'm only teasing, but it's like it's part of me goes, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are great, and the ones that aren't, I had very good reasons for. Or uh, there's a couple that I've retroactively revised based on finding out things about the teacher in the past. Where those ones I'm comfortable offline sharing, which who to avoid, but. Um, <laughs> Yes, uh, sometimes the uh, the juiciest conversations happen before and after the recordings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. <laughs> Libel laws and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also, you know, yeah, 
anyway. Yeah. Um, that, that's amazing. And also, you, you have fantastic um, notes. So, um, uh, uh, Will is somebody that I turn to. If I don't know what to do, I'll turn to Will and go, oh, uh, have you got any notes on this particular aspect of improv? And then, like, you know, he'll send, like, you know, four or five pages of fantastic notes that he's got. <laughs> and I'm like... Thank you. <laughs> this is you've made me look really good again. <laughs> so um, I just want to say thanks for that because that has been I really appreciate your ongoing support of the podcast in general, but also of the teaching I do in general. It's been real. Thank you. Oh, it's been another pleasure. Um, yeah, I try to take the best notes I can. Uh, I take notes from podcasts that I listen to. Listen to several. Improv London is fantastic. I get so many good quotes from that. But I also try to take the best notes I can from workshops, which is tricky. But you do what you can. And I found out there's an upper limit to how big a Google Doc can get. So really? had to be, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like roughly 469 pages of text. <laughs> I did not know that. I've never... Wow. Uh, it's not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> But I've had to split it once into two separate files, one for podcasts and one for workshops and classes, and I fear I'll have to split it again at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a real inspiration for me. Um, I agree with what you say about it being tricky taking notes in workshops. Just want to, do you want to explain what you mean by that? There's an act of recording things that takes you out of the moment. So it's hard to get down that brilliant quote you heard by a teacher and still hear the next droplets of knowledge they have to share <laughs> after that. And it's hard to get down like the mechanics of something, whatever you do, it's hard to get down the mechanics of certain exercises because they're based on, Oh, you do this movement with your body when you're doing this thing. And it's like, how do I write that movement? Yeah. <laughs> wiggle your arm but like it's not wiggling <laughs> you know when they have a good succinct way of phrasing it usually i can get it like lead with a body part but um <laughs> when they're like i want you to stand in this posture uh, I, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and i always find there's a dilemma between trying to be in the moment to be aware of everything and trying to record the moment and there's there's always a conflict there mm-hmm um, I, I have started writing more things down because I'm aware of how quickly they go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the things that I've learned, but also just the scenes that I've played because it's such a, you know, an ethereal transient <laughs> art form. Um, even just writing that down, um, has really helped me sort of remember things. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, um, doing online improv actually doing online improv i find it a lot easier to make notes that seems less um disruptive totally and some of my favorite teachers for online improv not like necessarily as teachers but just for the online experience they've had the exercises pre-typed out somewhere and they will paste them in the chat which is doubly fold useful one in that if they send you to breakout room you can see at least in zoom any chat history you've seen previously. So you instantly have those as a reference point rather than sitting there going, I missed a thing, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. which happens occasionally. Or um, also, if you're lucky, you can save the chat to a file and then you can just copy paste what their notes were and fill in around it. And you don't even yeah. have to worry about like stepping aside the type stuff in except for quotes. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, that that is uh, yeah. Using that chat function just to have a reference tool um, is yeah is a real uh, a real pro uh, move. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, have you found uh, online improv? I like it um, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> I have weird pet theories about it. I think I want to hear all your pet theories. Okay. This is exactly the place to share your pet <laughs> theories. <laughs> I know, I'm just caveating it so that I sound cool later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I feel like Zoom Prov or whatever, you know, medium Prov is kind of its own thing. If you come to it with expectations of it being exact to live in-person improv or with an expectation of doing something exactly as you did it on stage... You're going to be frustrated, disappointed, and burn out quickly. And you're going to go, that's not for me, and that's fine. And the people that have inspired me the most are the people that have gone, well, let's try and adapt this and see what works and what doesn't and keep tinkering from there and really finding cool ways to use the technology uh, to do things that sometimes work better on Zoom and other other meeting software is available where appropriate <laughs> per BBC guidelines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is on the BBC. I should point out that. Yes. <laughs> Radio four for the uh, enlightened folk. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like there are games that I think work better online. Like dubbing games work amazingly oh, because yeah. you can see the frame nice and big of who's doing it. And then you have the people offline, but you can hear them just as clearly as day. You know, whereas on stage, sometimes there's awkward projection or sight lines and things like that. Uh, one of the other things that I think works incredibly well is when you can just use the technology to like pop in or pop out. Uh, I think one of my favorite shows that I've seen tends to be Parallelogram of Phonograph, who to me have been on kind of the bleeding, one of the groups on the bleeding edge of figuring out how to improvise on Zoom and flexibly figuring out what works and what doesn't and like eschewing the junk and the tribes and the frustrations of well i can't do a perfect herald because our pattern game opening doesn't play nice Mm. with zoom sound (laughs) guidances they've they've done like a improvised horror movie where like they had like witches popping in and out and they would like flash their camera on and off for like a really nice spooky effect like you would find in a horror movie where you see the it just kind of cuts to the bad the baddie monsters like slowly getting closer to you (laughs) You know, and they've played with that there. They have embraced the fact that they can pass something through the camera and whatever they receive physically just is close enough and will be entertaining and fun. <laughs> and they've just done a lot I of love, cool things like that. I love passing objects. <laughs> passing oh. objects is... I could do that all afternoon and I would not get tired of it at all. <laughs> I would run out of objects. I would stop surprising <laughs> you because there's only so much in arm's reach. But we can definitely do that after the recording if you like. <laughs> Because it delights me, but <laughs> yeah, I've 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 um, I've really enjoyed uh, online improv. I didn't think I was going to, but as you say, it's it's finding what works. It finds what you can do online that you can't do in in in, in real in the real world and things like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's been a real um, a real way f- for me to connect with people in these trying times, and you know, get a chance yeah just to play with people that I don't normally get to play with. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's it's been a really really good experience. Um, tell me about, um, so you're currently trying to move your improv theatre. Tell <laughs> yeah. me about all of all of that, what's going on with that, and the theatre in general, and everything. Okay, so uh, 
I'm on the board of directors presently for the Lancaster Improv Players, which is a theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, two of the teams I'm on are there. Uh, have a small bias because, you know, help build the thing. <laughs> uh, the theater itself was formed out of a troupe that had been performing for about four years prior to turning into a theater. Um, it had grown to about 15 members and was hitting like an awkward point where you can only add so many more people and still have people get stage time and be manageable and be fun. And a group subset of that who had been the founders of the troupe, I'd only been with them for about two years maybe at that point. Um, they came forward and they're like, we would like to open a theater. What does the whole team think about it? Are, do we got your buy-in? And... We were like, yeah, cool, let's do this. And we did a Kickstarter and we raised a bunch of funds and we found a space that when I first saw it, honestly, I was like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it had weird issues and it needed a lot of work. There was a lot, the floor was covered in like tile glue and mastic and junk and it took so much, but we built it and it was beautiful and blood, sweat and tears went into the place and it's gorgeous and awkward and fun. And uh, we've recently, we found out we had to move. Uh, So that was an unfortunate setback. And it kind of took a shock and a little while to uh, reorient ourselves. And we started immediately a property search group. We started looking around town and we were new and foundlings. So there were uh, limited options in our price range. So it was a bit frustrating and stressful. But we got through it. We found a new location, which... Coincidentally, happens to be like uh, 10, 15 meters from our old location, thankfully. <laughs> Lovely. Um, repurposing the, the original space we were in at one point had been a barbershop because there was a barbershop stump in it. And our new space formerly was a barbershop. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> if we ever do change our name, it'll have to be something barber themed, I think, because we're going to keep <laughs> absorbing barbershop, barbershop locations. <laughs> <laughs> But um, we found it. It was nerve-wracking to try and sign a lease and a commitment in the middle of a stay-at-home order where we couldn't, we can't gather. Our income sources have been kind of temporarily for the good of all humanity. And I'm <laughs> 100% behind this. I'm not complaining about <laughs> yeah. it. But they've been temporarily kind of suspended and cut off. <laughs> and we were we had limited funds to start with. <laughs> Because that was unexpected. And we were saving and doing lovely frugal things and doing our best. So we've been okay so far. But yeah, nerve-wracking to say the least to sign a lease in that. And now we're vol- we're orienting things. Uh, luckily, the state we're in, uh, the state lockdown order enabled construction activity, which is what we're considering the move activity. And we're being very careful, we're requiring wearing masks, having plenty of cleaning supplies, sanitation things in the space trying to keep everybody six feet or more apart from each other so we can do so safely but we're painting refurbing and moving all of our stuff <laughs> wow it's an adventure <laughs> yes yes well good luck with that it sounds like thank an adventure you. thank you uh theater admin the deeper you go is just an interesting and fun and terrible idea <laughs> <laughs> so uh last two last two big questions mm-hmm. if someone were to step on stage with you what could they do to delight you i knew i listened to this podcast so i know this question's <laughs> coming um i think the 
I think the most satisfying scenes I have with people are where there's a strong feeling of connection and there's just a comfort level to let what happens happen in a scene. Cause I've had some of the, I don't record my scenes that I've been in very well. Uh, I rely on my faulty memory to try and retain the good ones and let the rest of them fall through. And some of the most pleasurable ones to me are ones where I can just settle in and let what's happening behind me happen without looking at it. Uh, One of them, we were were having a going-away party for an improviser in Harrisburg who was moving to another city because often people rotate through these communities. Um, And he had mentioned some story about going to various campgrounds as a kid with his family, his family trips. And I had settled into the front seat, and somebody else had settled into the front seat of the imaginary car with me. And it turned out we were going on one of these trips to a camper. And I just didn't bother looking back. Two people filled in behind me, and they were the improviser and their sibling. Um, And they were having a lovely conversation back there, and I just let them sit back there. And the person next to me just let them sit back there. And we kind of had a fun parallel conversation going. (laughs) And it was just so satisfying and if I can just like sit on, on stage with somebody and let walk-ons come on and introduce themselves and call attention to themselves when they want to be called attention to, and they're just all comfortable with that, I feel like that is just the most fun for me. I don't know. Beautiful. It's a weird thing, but I like it. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and yeah, the big question, the big final question is uh, what's your signature move? What's the thing you, you do that brings down the house, saves the day, has everyone going? Classic Rosenwinkle. <laughs> oh, goodness. This one I have even less of an answer for. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I know it's coming. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I tend to play a very supportive player. So I think, I hope, I pray that I do a good job of highlighting what my scene partner has done. And at a few points, I remember distinctly just like grabbing onto something and surprising them and delighting them with it (laughs) that they've done that they didn't realize. Uh, Surprisingly, this one was in a Herald. Uh, I was in a scene with a scene partner and we were, we were uh, talking about, he come, he would, Somehow in like the monologue or the opening number, there was something coming up about like a part-time something job or something like that. And we had played with it a little bit earlier in the set and we played with it a little bit later in the set, you know, to become various part-time things. And somebody had stepped out and introduced themselves as Batman to uh, Commissioner Gordon. And they're like, sorry, things have been really busy at Wayne Enterprises. I'm just kind of like being a part-time superhero right now. And my line to that was just like, Batman, we've been working together how long and now you're telling me? (laughs) You're Bruce Wayne? (laughs) This is how you tell me? (laughs) And it clearly was not what the person had intended, but they were so delighted and surprised by it. And it was so fun to play with that and just go forward with that. And so I, I hope that that's kind of my signature move to find those little moments to kind of surprise and delight and just like fixate on the weirdest little detail <laughs> and make it fun. That sounds fantastic. Uh, thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. 
Thank you for having me. <laughs> I like to improvise. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I made this. That's improv! <laughs> <laughs>